Well, good morning, Crest Chapel. Man, it is great to be back with you. I was gone the past couple Sundays because uh, we were on the church uh, trip to Israel and a wonderful time. I loved it. We had representation from each of our campuses uh, on that trip, which was wonderful. Uh, I think the people on that trip had a great time, uh, but that means that you have someone at each of your campuses who can tell you, you need to go to Israel. So uh, Jen and I are taking another trip this next year in 2024, and there's information, there's a QR code on the back of your sermon notes. If you want more information about that trip, we would love to take you. Uh, It will change the way you read the Bible for the rest of your life. You need to go. I've told you that for years, and I'll continue uh, to tell you that. Uh, So please... Check that out if you want that information. Also, let me tell you, happy Father's Day to all the dads here. Uh, Super thankful for you. Uh, Dads, I just want to encourage you, you are winning. Um, I read a study this past week uh, that said, uh, now it's a statistic, but I think uh, you can trust it, um, the majority of it. Uh, 80% of folks involved in an evangelical church had a dad in the home who was setting a spiritual example. Um, So dads, you are winning by making it a priority to be here in worship today. So thank you for doing that and leading your family as well. We want to continue to encourage you. We want to continue to equip you. And I want to just engage you and encourage you by using a Father's Day introduction example uh, today. So one of my favorite things to do with my boys as a dad is just laugh. I just enjoy laughing with them. And one of the things that we laugh at is America's Funniest Videos. Have you guys ever seen this show, AFV? So it it comes on on Sunday evenings. So we usually watch it on Sundays. So it's it's kind of a a reoccurring uh, time for us to get together and laugh. But one of the things that I enjoy about AFV is you can always expect what's going to happen. And because you can always expect what's going to happen, you know you're always going to laugh because the boys and I laugh at the exact same things. I mean, we know exactly what's coming up and yet we laugh at it anyway. So what I thought we would do is I'm going to give you an example and ask you what you would expect to happen and we'll see what happens, okay? We're gonna, I'm going to show you some videos, okay? So let's start off. We're just going to start with the setting here, okay? So this little boy is coming up to a llama, okay? What do you expect is going to happen? Let's see what happens. I love that you can hear a male voice, maybe not a dad, but a male voice chuckle in the background after that happens. They're like, <laughs> like I knew that was going to happen. Okay, you can expect it. Okay, well, let's, look at, let's look at the next one here. Okay, what do you expect to happen? Let's see. We know what's going to happen, and you just laugh every, every time. I'm, la- I'm laughing, laughing now. Okay, here, this is a classic one, okay? Classic one, okay? I love how people are like, oh, you already know what's going to happen. Okay, here we go. I showed this uh, to my boys last night, and I said, what do you think's going to happen? He's going, they said, he's going to get hit in the (laughs) woo-hoos. 
Sure enough, that's happened. Every dad has been there. Every dad has been there that's, that's tried to play baseball uh, with their kid, okay? Now, you can't always expect exactly what is going to happen. Let, let me show you another one, okay? Let's, okay, this is, this is the setting, and what you can't see is uh, there's a, a birthday cake uh, that, that is somebody celebrating a birthday. And so you would think that with a birthday cake, what's going to happen? Yeah, the face is going to go in, in the birthday cake. Okay, let's see what happens here. Now, I don't know what this says about me as a dad, but this is what I love doing with my boys. Uh, I enjoy laughing with them, but oftentimes before the laugh even begins, it starts with a, oh, because somebody's usually getting hurt. And I don't know what that says uh, about us, but uh, I enjoy laughing at those things. And we can always expect that we'll laugh together uh, when we watch those things. And we love to be able to expect things in our life. Like we love to have expectations and, and certainly when those expectations are met. Uh, It doesn't matter what we're doing in our lives because when we have those right expectations, then you can prepare for, you can plan for, you can anticipate, even look forward to certain things in your life. But as you all know, life doesn't always go uh, the way that you want it to. Life doesn't always meet your expectations. And sometimes there are things that we can expect and sometimes there's things we can't expect. And that's true for our everyday lives, but it's also true for our spiritual lives as well. There are certainly things that you can expect. You can always depend upon the character of God. But one of the things that I've learned is God often works in unexpected ways. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is expecting the unexpected. So if you will, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, if you're opening one of the blue Bibles, it's page 916 in that blue Bible. You do need a copy of the scriptures because we're going to just read uh, chunks of this passage as we read uh, all the way through. We'll get all the way through 1 to 25. Chapter 8, verses 1 to 25. So please open a copy of the scriptures. I want you to see uh, the scriptures for yourself. So we're obviously beginning a new series. It's called Unexpected, and it's because God is going to work in some very unexpected ways as we begin in chapter 8. And chapter 8 is a really uh, pivotal passage in the book of Acts, and that's why we're, we're changing the series and changing kind of the emphasis and focus, because you're going to see God do some very unexpected things beginning here in chapter 8, and I know some of the things were unexpected uh, earlier. But we're going to pick up where we left off, and Micah did a great job uh, last week of preaching about uh, Stephen, and if you'll remember, uh, Stephen is this man who's full of grace and full of power, but he's preaching about Jesus, he's telling pe- others about him, and and then this unexpected thing happens, right? He, he's not, his message isn't welcomed. He, they, they aren't like, oh, thank you for telling about this wonderful Savior. Uh, but instead, they take him out and they do what? They stone him. They, they end up killing Stephen. Why? Because uh, they do the same thing to Stephen that they did to Jesus. In fact, if you look back at verse 10, I just, uh, it says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
They treat him the same way that they treated Jesus. And, and remember, we've got to realign our expectations because Jesus says that, man, you're going to get treated the same way I was treated. So, so if you represent me, then people are going to treat you like they treated me. So just align our expectations in that way. But what I want to do today is I want to show you what happens as a result of that. What, what happens as a result after the stoning of Stephen? It's a pretty unexpected thing that happens with the movement of the gospel. And when I talk about the gospel, what, uh, let me define gospel for you because it'll be the subject for our outline today. What I mean when I say the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. That we can be reconciled to a holy God even though we're sinners that we can have a right relationship with him. We can be drawn back into a relationship with him through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This is the message that was being preached back then. This is the message that we are preaching today. This is the message that transforms people's lives and it has an unexpected result in our lives whenever it's preached. So I wanna go through and talk about those unexpected things that happen with the gospel. So we'll go through all 25 verses and then I'll give you some application at the end. So let's begin uh, first in, chapter, uh, in verse one of chapter eight where I wanna show you that the gospel spreads to an unexpected place. To an unexpected place. So we're gonna read through verses one through eight and just follow along with me. It says, and Saul approved of his execution. Whose execution? Stephen, good. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Verse 4, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ, and the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said to Philip. And when they heard him and saw signs that he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had believed in them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. We'll stop right there for just a moment as we talk about the gospel spreading to an unexpected place. But first, there's an unexpected result of persecution. When you hear of the stoning of Stephen, this man who was just uh, exalted back in chapter 6 as somebody who could serve the church, who was full of grace and power, and he is killed, what do you expect to happen to the church? You expect it to die, right? I mean, now, not only do they kill one of the ones who is exalted into this, this servant position, but now you have Saul, it says, going house to house, dragging people out and committing them to prison. You would think that everybody would go, yeah, not worth it. That, that guy got stoned. That girl got thrown into prison. You know, we'll just step back from our faith. Instead the church begins to spread. Folks, please remember, this is a current theme all throughout scripture and we see it true today. 
that whenever people try to hold down the church, it arises with a much greater power. It's, it's like a beach ball that you try to hold under the water. And the harder that you try to push it down, eventually it, it rises. It, it comes up. That is exactly what happens here in the church. And the church begins to spread. And it spreads from Jerusalem. It spreads to an unexpected place. And that is Samaria. Now I want to show you where Samaria is on a map. Because really it's just a region. And I know it says the city of Samaria. But it could also be interpreted a city in Samaria. And so Samaria is just a region north of Jerusalem. But what makes this an unexpected place is because of the unexpected people who lived in Samaria. And the people who lived in Samaria were called Samaritans. I love how, yeah, let's go. You're talking to me. I love it. Okay, yes, they're called Samaritans. Now, the Jews saw nothing good about Samaritans, which I know is weird for you because pretty much all you've ever heard of the Samaritans were the the good Samaritan. But for the Jews, they saw nothing good about the Samaritans. And the reason why, it actually traces back hundreds of years from this point in Scripture. And it's because it goes all the way back to the divided kingdom whenever the uh, northern kingdom, they were conquered by the Assyrians back in 722 BC. But anyway, all that to say, those Jews began to intermingle and intermarry with the Gentiles. And so they, they were seen as um, half-breeds in a sense. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't pure as far as their Jewish heritage and culture. And they had intermingled some of the Gentile customs into their lives. They were seen, though, by the Jews as sellouts. That, like, you didn't stay pure to the Jewish faith. You married outside the faith. And so you've compromised the faith. You've, you've co-mingled this Gentile pagan religions back into the purity of the Jewish faith. And you do not worship Yahweh alone. And say, so they were looked down upon by, by the Jews. That's how the Jews saw them. And so that's why the gospel is going to an unexpected place. It's because there were unexpected people. The Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. That's, that's actually the, the paradoxical irony of the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is the Jews walk by the person who is in need, but the Samaritan helps the person in need. And the Jews are going, what? The Samaritan does something good? We, we never thought that they could do something good. What, what good has a Samaritan ever done for us? And Jesus begins to lift them up. So now the gospel begins to spread to this unexpected place. And the last thing I have to say about this passage is it spreads through an unexpected person. And that's Philip. Now, if if you were going to uh, franchise, let's just use an analogy. If you were going to franchise a business or a corporation or, in this case, the church, who would you think about sending to go start another location? A founder, right? Some, somebody who, who was a part of the, the creation of the church, an originator. And so you would think, let's send the apostles, right? Let's send the apostles to go start the church in Samaria. But the apostles stay in Jerusalem. And who gets sent to Samaria to spread the gospel? It's Philip. 
Now, what do we know about Philip? Philip is mentioned back in Acts chapter 6. Now, he is mentioned as one of those who were devout men who, was, who were chosen to help feed those widows. And Doug Cecil did a fantastic job preaching that passage uh, a couple weeks ago. Now, remember, what was the conflict amongst those widows? Who was not being fed? The Hellenists. Now, what were the Hellenists? The Hellenists were those Jews who had adopted some of the Greek culture. And now Philip is brought in and he goes, uh, I'll volunteer for the soup kitchen for the Hellenist widows. Like, I'll do that. I'll, I'll help them. And so Philip is brought in to bridge the gap for the Hellenist widows, Jewish widows, with the actual the Hebrew Jewish widows. So he's brought in to bridge that gap. Now Philip is called upon to bridge another cultural gap and to begin to reach out to the Samaritans to bring them into the church, to spread the gospel in an unexpected place to unexpected people through an unexpected person. I, I, I want to, to highlight that. Because, guys, you may say, uh, God, I only agreed to help with this task. I didn't really want to share my faith. And God's going, hold on. <laughs> That's what you're called to do. Sometimes the task is just a means to an end. But you are called to be a witness for him. Don't limit what God can do through you simply by what you think he can do through you. And go, I just wanted to feed the widows. No, you're going to be the pioneer to go reach in unexpected places to reach unexpected people. And that's what happens here as Philip begins to spread the gospel into Samaria, which is a major, major shift here. And remember, this is following Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Remember, Acts chapter, and I know I keep going back to it, and you'll never forget it, which is wonderful. But remember, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, the regions, and then to the ends of the earth. They're concentric circles. So this persecution God is using in an unexpected way just to fulfill his plan. It's amazing how God can take the things that we see as awful and terrible and tragic and use them for his glory and our good. That's what he is doing here as the gospel spreads to this unexpected place. But the gospel then captivates an unexpected person. In verses 9 to 13, the gospel captivates an unexpected person as it spreads into Samaria. And so I want to read verses 9 to 13 and show you uh, and give you some context to who this unexpected person is. It says, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time, he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel, they were baptized, both men and women. They began to identify and follow Jesus. 
Verse 13, even Simon himself believed after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he, that is Simon, was amazed. Okay, so the gospel is beginning to spread and it spreads through, uh, through Samaria and it captivates this unexpected person named Simon and it calls him here the magician. Now, but I want to tell you, probably what Simon was practicing goes far beyond, you know, card tricks and pulling coins behind kids' ears. This wasn't, this wasn't necessarily magic. That's why some translators translate it Simon the sorcerer, which is probably more accurate because Simon was probably dabbling in some demonic and occult things that, that gave him some odd power in some way. Uh, Let's not forget, guys, we not only live in a physical world, but we live in a spiritual world. And there are dark, dark things that happen that I don't want to talk about, I don't want to be any part of, I don't want to be close to. Okay, that's probably what Simon was dabbling in in those days. But now, and he, and he, was, he was grabbing people's attention because it made him look powerful. And it says that people were following him and they were amazed at his magic or sorcery. But now Philip comes in, he begins to preach of, of the gospel. And remember what, uh, what Philip is doing here. It says that demons are even crying out in loud voices. And this captures his attention. Captures Philip's attention. Why? Because those are probably, that's probably what he was dabbling in. And now those demons are bowing to the name of Jesus. Okay? Do you see what, see, you following me for a second? Kind of? Okay. You, you, I, I'm just trying to, I, I need to highlight the, the contrast because that's why Luke is including this as he writes uh, th- this account. It's because he's contrasting what was going on with Philip in Samaria and, uh, or what is happening in Simon in Samaria and what happens when Philip and the name of Jesus enters Samaria. You see, there's a contrast going on. When you look at the miracles, Simon was performing miracles through dark powers. Philip through divine power. When you look at, at who was following whom during that time, well, Simon wanted people to follow him. In fact, it says that, that they were calling him. This man is the power of God that is called great. He loved that adulation. He loved that exaltation. They were exalting him. He is wonderful and he had people following him and he was trying to, to gain a following and keep of following himself. Philip comes in and begins to preach the gospel and people, it says, are baptized or identified with Jesus, not Philip. They, they begin to follow him. And so the only, which ironically, the only person who it says follows Philip is Simon, who we'll get to in just a second, okay? So people begin to follow Philip rather than Simon. And you look at the differences of what the result is of them practicing their different powers. When Simon is practicing those powers, people are following him, et cetera, as I, as I just said. But when Philip practices those things and brings the name of Jesus into Samaria, what does it say fills the city or that region? Look back at verse 8. What, is it, what fills that region? Joy. There's joy. No mention of joy with Simon. No mention of joy. 
but joy when Philip enters and begins to preach the gospel. There's a contrast going on here. And, and I think Simon is the one who uh, most starkly notices that contrast of, wait, I had people's attention when I was doing this, but now this looks more powerful than what I had. And that's why it says that he believed and was baptized. Now, personally, Cody's opinion, this is only Cody's opinion because the text doesn't explicitly tell us, I do not think that Simon actually became a believer at that time. And, and I'll show you why later on in the passage. I think it was a counterfeit following because everything about Simon is counterfeit. Counterfeit power, counterfeit following, counterfeit actions. And I think that's warranted in the next passage because what is going to happen is the gospel is going to expose some very unexpected motives in and within Simon. The gospel exposes unexpected motives in verses 14 to 25. Verses 14 to 25. Just follow along with me. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Now those are the apostles. We've been talking a lot about Peter and John throughout the first few chapters. Who came down. Why did they come down? Remember, Jerusalem is, is at a higher elevation. So anywhere you go other than Jerusalem, you're going down. Okay? Even though it's north in, in the region. They came down. Who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I'll explain that in a second. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. So verse 22, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond or enslaved to iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Verse 25, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Okay, now let me, let me recap because there's a lot uh, going on there. So the apostles, it said at the beginning of chapter 8, they, they stayed in Jerusalem and the gospel spreads through church members to Samaria, to the, to the outer regions. So it begins to spread there, but word gets back to Jerusalem, back to the apostles, and they go, oh my gosh, so, something is happening in Samaria. We need to go and see what is happening there. And so they call Peter and John. Peter and John go to Samaria, and they begin to see that God's work amongst the Samaritans is real. God, God's work amongst them is real. 
And so what is going on here, it, then they pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I've, I've got to highlight this. And I need you to hear this clearly. Remember, Acts chapter 1 through 10, this is a transitional period in the plan of God. The things that happen here are not normative. This is, this is not prescriptive to what happens today. This is descriptive of how God begins to implement his new plan called the church, which was a mystery, into the world, okay? Because what we believe and what we taught on earlier on in, in our series, Empowered, is we believe that as soon as you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit immediately. You don't have to have anybody come lay hands on you or anything like that. Okay, it immediately happens as soon as you believe. So why is it different here? Why is it different here? Well, remember, go back to what did the Jews believe about the Samaritans? Nothing good can come out of Samaria. And so what I believe is going on here is God is calling Peter and John down to authenticate to them as apostles his authentic work amongst the Samaritans. And so that he can therefore bring together and unify the early church so that the early church doesn't have two ethnic groups beginning churches that are completely separated and distinct. So that they can now unify together and they can see, oh my gosh, they truly do believe and they can unify around the name of Jesus and unify around the, the Holy Spirit that now indwells them. You see, it's almost like the early church in Jerusalem amongst the Jews, they had their day of Pentecost. And it's almost like this is a, a mini day of Pentecost amongst the, the Gentiles. Uh, that, that's what's going on. But the Peter and John are there to witness it. He is validating and authenticating God's work. So let me, let me just be very clear about it. He's confirming his work amongst these people to Peter and John. He's validating the authentic ministry that Philip was doing. And he's unifying believers from two different cultures, two distinct, uh, distinct ethnic identities, so that the churches would unify around the name of Jesus. That's what I think is going on here in this passage. That is, again, not normative for us today. But Simon begins to see that the, the Holy Spirit uh, begins to indwell those people, the, those believers. Now, notice that Simon, although he had joined the herd in believing, although he had jumped in line to be baptized earlier on, for some reason, Simon does not receive the Holy Spirit. He, he is a bystander. He is not a participant. He is, a, he is an onlooker. And this is one of the reasons why I think he's not, he wasn't truly a, a believer. I think he believed to to get what he could get. I, I think he played the game. I think he walked the aisle. I, th I think he tried to blend in with the crowd to get what he could get because he doesn't want the consequences later that are coming because of his sin. But he goes up to Peter and John and he's like, hey, can I buy some of that goodness? I, I would love some of that. And totally, why does he want that? One, so he has that power himself.
But also, if you, if you look back at it, he, he wants it so that he can do what? He can impart that to other people. He wants that power. He wants that persuasion. Come to me for that kind of power. That's what I want. I want to possess it myself so I can choose to be benevolent and, and endow that on the people that I want to, that probably pay him to have that power. He, this is becoming a very transactional thing for Simon. And that's why they end up saying that you can't buy this. Guys, God cannot be bought and he cannot be bribed. Just, just so you know, when, when we give of our offerings and gifts, we're not trying to buy or bribe God to do anything. It's a form of worship. He, he is worthy of it. We give it to him because we know and acknowledge what he's given to us. That's why we do it. But Simon is trying to buy and bribe God to have that power, to be able to possess that power, to be able to distribute that power uh, based on his own volition, based on his own will and want. And Peter and John say, you can't, you can't do that. See, his motives are exposed. God doesn't work that way. And that's why they say you're full of bitterness and you are in the bond of iniquity. Now, but I love how they end this. When they, when they identify these motives and expose these motives in him, what is the call that Peter and John give him? Repent. Repent. You, you would think that this guy, this, this cultic leader in Samaria who has led a crowd astray, who wants to buy this power from them, they would go, get away from us and never come back. But instead, what do they do? Repent. Hey, you can turn to Christ too. <laughs> you, you can have that. Just believe in Jesus. You can be a part of us. I, I don't know that I would respond that way. I, but that's the heart of God, and that's the heart of God working in and through Peter that they say, repent. You can turn to him, which means believe in him. Stop believing in what you were believing, that you can buy and bribe God and turn to him for his grace that is free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. You just accept that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. You see, here's the bottom line that I want, want you to get. And, and this will set up our entire series is expect the unexpected because it's the essence of the gospel. Expect the unexpected because it's the essence of the gospel. It's unexpected that persecution would help the church grow. That is unexpected. It, it, it's unexpected that it would go to people that were not necessarily accepted, the Samaritans. It's unexpected that, the, that Simon the sorcerer would be, uh, give, be given an opportunity to enter into the family of God, that no one is too far gone. It's unexpected that God would send his one and only son to be a sacrifice for our sins. That's unexpected. We didn't earn it. We didn't deserve it. We can't, we can't work hard enough for it. You can't attend church enough for it. Like, it's unexpected. You see, the way that God works is oftentimes unexpected, but again, it always works for his glory and it always works for our good. So let me give you some very quick applications. 
First, expect God to reveal blind spots in your heart so you can repent of sin. Expect God to reveal blind spots in your heart so you can repent of sin. When God reveals those blind spots to us, it's because he wants us to turn to him. And when we turn to him, we find life. We find freedom. When Simon wasn't following Jesus, he was, he was, he was held on to, he, he was strangled by bitterness. He was in the bonds of iniquity, enslaved to sin. And so when God points out those blind spots, it's so that we can turn to him and experience freedom and joy, like it says in verse 8. And by the way, oftentimes those blind spots are pointed out by community, people in and around us. And we need those people that have the freedom to speak into our lives lovingly that say, hey, Cody, you might not know how you came across, but here's how you came across you might not know how that makes people feel. You might, those blind spots are created in, or, or are exposed amongst community and through the word of God. But Simon doesn't experience that blind spot until he's put into Christian community. When he, until he's put in next to a Peter and John. So expect him to reveal those blind spots so you can repent of sin. Second, expect God to care for others who don't know him so you can share the gospel. Expect God to care for those who don't know him so you can share the gospel. Wonderful lesson that we take from this passage is, folks, people who do not believe in Jesus are not our enemy. They're not the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 clearly tells us who the enemy is. The enemy is the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that devil is the one who deceives people into those things that take them away from Christ. That is the enemy. The people who don't believe in Jesus need compassion. They need the gospel. They need to hear about Jesus. This, this is a wonderful, wonderful lesson I think Peter and John learn here and will learn throughout the, the book of Acts. That, that people who we once wrote off are not our enemies. Uh, they are potential family members in the family of God. So expect God to care for others who don't know him so you can share the gospel. And then finally, when we talk about all these things that are unexpected, I do want you to know this. Expect God's character to remain the same so you can always trust him. His character will always remain the same. His character will always remain the same. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His character will always remain the same. When you place your trust in him, you can be assured that he has you in the palm of his hand and he will never let you go. You can have assurance of salvation. You can have assurance of his plan. You can have assurance of what, what will happen as scripture tells us what will happen. You can place all your trust in him because while life may be unexpected, you can always place great expectations on who God will be because it's who he told us he will be. Now let me pray for us. God, we thank you that when unexpected things happen, you can work those things together for our good and for your glory. Lord God, 
when unexpected things happen. Help us to not be caught off guard by that, but help us to put our expectations in the God who never changes, in the God who never fails. Lord God, may we find great joy in that. May we find great freedom in that, that we can always turn to you. You are our rock who never moves. Lord, expand our expectations in our own lives of what you can do. Expand our vision for those in and around us that you might move in unexpected, wonderful ways. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.